0: We're going to talk about the, uh, these passages that we read out of the book of Matthew this morning. So uh, just to refresh your memory, we did, we did three passages. And the first one was uh, Jesus is sitting down with the disciples and he is explaining to them because they have asked him about the parable of the weeds. Okay, And the parable of the weeds, in case we didn't read that, that particular part, but the parable of re- weeds is basically uh, Jesus tells a story where this guy has this field. And in the field there are uh, there's wheat that's growing, and there are weeds that are growing, and they're growing side by side and the workers in the vineyard come and they say, uh, "What should we do about the weeds and the the worker says, or the owner of the field says, "Just let them grow uh, alongside the good wheat, and then we'll we'll take care of them in the end, and we'll separate the chaff from the wheat and so the disciples say, "Okay, tell us what on earth does this mean jesus and so he, he explains to them that the uh, the wheat or the good seed are the, the people who have accepted the kingdom, accepted the message that has been sown by the Son of Man. And the people who uh, have rejected that are people who perpetrate evil, people who do evil. Uh, the causes of sin are the, are the weeds and that those will indeed be separated out um, in the end. So the next story, okay, is... Uh, is this story that maybe doesn't seem very connected to that first story. The second story is the, the classic, uh, often retold, even within Gospels, we have two, two different tellings of Jesus feeding a bunch of people, feeding the 5,000, feeding a multitude. And in that story, one of the things that I want to highlight for you is, um, first of all, it says that Jesus didn't want the crowds, right? He retreated. He was trying to get away from the crowds to be by himself. And then they all showed up when they heard where he was going. And it says, and he took compassion on them. Now, interestingly, he took compassion on them. And then what does he do next? Uh, He tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. Now, normally speaking, if you you are moved with compassion, you're not really supposed to then tell somebody else to do something about it, right? Jesus gets a pass on that particular thing. Uh, But he, he looks at the disciples and he says, you... You give them something to eat, and they're like, you're nuts. What do you mean us give them something to eat? We don't have that kind of money. What are you talking about? And then the, you know, the, the food is provided, and Jesus feeds everyone, and everyone is satisfied. And then it says, we then the very next story, it says immediately Jesus uh, got in the boat with his disciples, or is immediately uh, he told his disciples to go get in the boat and to cross over to the other side of the lake. And, uh, and then Jesus meets them uh by walking on the water out to them because jesus is fond of freaking them out <laughs> and uh one of the things that i love about this story is they ask him you know they say it must be a ghost and then jesus says don't be afraid for it is i and then peter says back to him if it's you <laughs> the dude's walking on the water like Maybe it's not time to ask that question. But if it's you, then let me come out to you. And Jesus says, OK, come on. And so uh, the rest of the story, I'm sure you, you know well that Jesus or Peter takes his step, starts to walk on the water, becomes afraid when he sees the winds and the waves and he begins to sink. And Jesus pulls him, pulls him up and says, you know, why would you doubt? You have little faith. Where, where do these doubts come from? Um, and then when he gets back in the boat, it says that they all dropped to their knees. That word uh, worship means it's the Greek word proskuneo, which we get the word prostrate from. That's the, the English derivative of that word. So they literally fell on their knees um, to, to bring him praise. And so those are those, the three stories that we're going to talk about today. And those stories, I'm not actually going to preach on any of the themes in any of those stories. What I want to do for you is illustrate a pattern, a pattern that is uh, clear-cut in all of the Gospels for for the disciples' relationship with Jesus. Okay, there is a a clear-cut pattern for what the disciples' life was like with Jesus. And these three stories highlight what that pattern was. And so uh, the first one... Is the sit down chat. Okay. So Jesus will get up. And he will teach. And uh, this is uh, uh, commonplace. Jesus loved to to speak in parables. And the parables. um, You know we have have like 2,000 years worth of interpretive history to stand on. So we can go and we can read these parables. And we're like well of course that's what it means. Because we've kind of absorbed 2,000 years of history of reading those. But these guys are like. Jesus, what did that mean? Because they're the first people to hear it. Right. And so people ask, well, what does that mean? They're perplexed by, by the meaning. And so the disciples get this this uh, very intimate time where they get the inside knowledge on it. They get the sit down explanation. This is what I really meant. They get uh, not one on one mentoring, but they get this deeper mentoring with him where he is their, their teacher, their rabbi, the, the person that they get to have this conversation with about it. The crowds don't really converse with him, right? The crowds don't get this. The crowds are sort of an, an outer level of what it means to, to have a relationship with Jesus. But the disciples, their relationship it involves this sit-down chat that's going to happen over and over and over and over again. In different circumstances, it's not just to explain um, parables. And sometimes in in most of the gospels, the disciples will also have this sit down chat revolving around the fact that Jesus is going to die. And Jesus has to tell them over and over and over again, really guys, I'm going to die. And they're still perplexed by it when it happens. And so they get this inside intimate knowledge, intimate connection with who Jesus is. And it happens over and over and over again. The next thing that, uh, that happens though after that. So um, the next thing that happens after that is, I think, a key point for us is that. So Jesus sits down with the disciples and he explains the parable of the weeds. And then just a little ways later, it's not that Jesus. Uh, I almost, I almost had a cartoon that I was going to show you where uh, Jesus is sitting down with the disciples and and one of the disciples raises his hand and he he asks, "Is this going to be on the final?" <laughs> right uh, so it's not that in a couple of paragraphs jesus is like hey guys what did i tell you just a little while ago did uh, pop quiz can you can you write down the the interpretation of the uh, parable of the weeds that that's not what happens right the next one of the next things that happens is uh they are in a situation and they have to try what they've learned now the feeding of the five thousand is not exactly the same thing as uh the parable of the weeds but it is a sort of uh a trusting of um of jesus's intention to sow the seed right to to take this crowd and to have compassion on them and to serve this crowd now jesus didn't didn't take some of the people who maybe weren't going to believe people who are evildoers he didn't separate those weeds out and give the food to them right the food is given and distributed. Equally to everybody that's there. There's no there's no deciding these people deserve the food and these people don't deserve the food. That's kind of a a typical temptation of churches for centuries, if not both millennia that we've been in existence to say, let's decide who is the wheat and who is the tares. Let's decide. Let's decide who deserves the charity and who does not. Let's decide who deserves the compassion and who does not. And so Jesus gives them this opportunity to live the parable of the weeds, to live out this, uh, this teaching, this sit-down chat. It doesn't stop there. It's not intended for uh, intellectual knowledge. It is intended to be imitated. It is intended to be animated. It's intended to be incarnated, to be brought into flesh into life and he's so give it a try and then again uh jesus while he's out on the water uh peter's given this opportunity to try it to actually step out onto the water with jesus to actually be called out to him to take these steps to do something that only jesus can do and so uh The idea of the disciples life with Jesus does not stop with that sit down chat. You know, I I, you all know this about me, but I, I grew up in church. I basically have gone to church my entire life. And I think nobody I don't think anybody would ever say that, yeah, it ends after the sit down chat. But that's that's Christian discipleship. But that's the way we act. Right. Come to Sunday school. Come to a church. I mean, how much of our church life is spent with the sit down chat? Right. You come here. Sit. Listen to me. Uh, come to a Wednesday night thing. Sit and listen to me again or some other person that we've decided is good enough to listen to and then be on your merry way. Right. I mean, that's church in a way, isn't it? I mean, we also sing songs. That's an added bonus. <laughs> but the, the idea is, no, let's give it a try. Let's do it. Put it into practice. Let's step out of the boat, so to speak. Let's try to give 5,000 people food when we only have you know, two loaves of bread and a handful of fish. Let's try it. Let's actually try what he's asked us to do. I hope and I think that our simple supper is, is that, that we have at least one thing built into our church life every week that we try to do it. Uh, Obviously, we're doing the same thing over and over again, but that's because it's the same need and it's there over and over again, and people actually rely on that service. And so we try – I don't want to give us too much credit, but we're trying to live the you give them something to eat, right? Right? Jesus takes compassion on everybody who comes into our – all the people who come into our building on Wednesday nights, on Sunday mornings, whenever it is, when people come in here. Let's assume that Jesus takes compassion on them, and then he looks at us, and he says, you give them something to eat. And so we try to do that together. Give it a try. Actually do something that Jesus has asked us to do. So that's not where it ends, though, because uh, in in these passages – the disciples fail both times, <clears throat> right? When Jesus challenges them and says, uh, give them something to eat, their response to that is, you're nuts, right? <laughs> we, will, we will never have enough money to do that. And uh, so they, there's that little failure. And uh, then the next one is Peter, he gets out on the water and then he sees the winds and the waves and he becomes afraid and he begins to sink. I don't want to be too hard on Peter because I'm not sure I would have gotten out the boat, right? But <laughs> like, it didn't work out for him. It didn't. He didn't. Didn't succeed. I don't know what the right the right word is. That's probably not it. But Jesus has to pull him up, just like Jesus has to save the day when the disciples are like, "We don't have enough money to feed all these people." He still does it. And by the way, he doesn't say, "Okay, now's the time to separate." The wheat from the tares. You guys didn't feed them, so get out of my presence. Or you guys, you Peter, you you failed the test. Time to be, uh, you know, thrown away. That's not part of the plan. What happens? The response to our failure when we're willing to try. The response to our failure is this graceful hand that may say while wow, we're being pulled up, "Oh, you of little faith." He may say that. He may not do, but the hand is there regardless. We're not allowed to sink. We're pulled up. And so the disciples go through this over and over and over and over again. There is this certain uh, synergy between the parables that Jesus teaches and the things that then Jesus does and asks the disciples to do alongside him. My favorite example of this uh, comes from the book of Mark where Jesus tells a bunch of agricultural parables in the, uh, in the fourth chapter, okay? The most famous one being uh, about seeds that fall on the ground, right? And some seeds fall on good soil, and those seeds grow, and some seeds fall on bad soil, and those seeds are scorched and burnt up and devoured by weeds and all those sorts of things. And I know, I know that the disciples would have heard that, and they would have thought to themselves, they would have had an image in their mind of like what good soil was. Right. Surely, like if if I said, you look for good soil when you're out there spreading the seed, you're going to in your mind. Imagine what good soil looks like. Right. And I imagine for them it would have been uh, righteous, probably male uh, Jews who were doing really good religious stuff. Okay. Chapter five of the book of Mark is Jesus busting all that up because he goes and he goes and finds good soil. And where's the good soil in Mark chapter five? A demon-possessed man who's been chained and excluded and ostracized from his town and lives in caves. Second good soil is a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, who's been also been ostracized from her family. And the third good soil is a dead girl. Now, you cannot tell me that the disciples would have heard that parable and said to themselves, Oh, yeah, here's where, we, here's where we're going to find good soil. Right? They have to live. There's a synergy between the way that uh, the things that the disciples hear and are taught and then the things that Jesus does in his life and asks the disciples to do alongside him the question then for us is is that our pattern of life in Christ do we do this do we do we read our Bibles do we have a sit down chat with God, with Christ. we have a, a, a wonderful, um, healthy practice of prayer and discipline and devotion, but then it does not spring into life? Does it stay there? Or on the other hand, maybe we're giving everything a try, but we don't have any depth. And we don't have any dedication to make sure that we have those sit-down chats. I've been there many, many times in my life where I just gave up on the, the richness of setting aside time for the chats to be taught and to be mentored by Christ, but I'm just out there doing it because I just, I got to prove the real reason I'm doing that is not because I love anybody. It's because I got to prove that to myself. I have something to prove. I've got a chip on my shoulder. That doesn't work either, by the way. And so there's a, a certain sense of this need for balance. And the only the only one that's, I think, a given, the one that you can count on, is the helping hand. No matter what I've messed up on either end of this pattern, that's always been there. So that's, a, I think, a deep, perhaps difficult, but extraordinarily important question for our life with Christ. Is the pattern there? Because it's... it's um, it's the right word. It's omnipresent in the Gospels. This is the pattern of the disciples' life with him. Uh, everything falls within this. Everything that they see Jesus do, every every part of their walking with him fill, fits into this. Everything is—the word disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes, Okay, and the word doesn't necessarily mean disciple. It means learner. So the disciples are these uh, basic learners. And truthfully, everything that happens in the Gospels benefits their learning. And it never is just a sit down chat and it's never just give it a try. It is this beautiful synergy where Christ is there helping them along the way. So how do we do that? What does that look like in our own life? So I I, uh, Googled um, follow Jesus for images today because I was trying to find just find things to throw up on the screen so that you have something to look at instead of me. And uh, and this was a nice little picture that that came came up um, rather quickly. There were just like thousands and thousands of images for follow Jesus. Just oh, I mean, tons and tons and tons and tons. And uh, because that's I mean, that's like a really common thing that we tell ourselves it's a a, an easy and good christian idea uh but there's a really interesting facet to this pattern that i think sometimes we forget we because we think that i follow jesus right or you follow jesus but that's not what happened for the disciples the disciples didn't do that one-on-one that's not the pattern Part of what we, I think, are missing is we think we've got to take responsibility just for it for ourselves. We've got to bear our burdens on our own. We've got to struggle on our own. We have to sink into the ocean on our own and wait for Jesus to pull us up. We have to feed the 5,000 on our own. We have to have this sit-down chat with Jesus on our own. And we are plagued by that. We're deeply plagued by it. Whereas they have to do it together. In fact, Jesus won't let them do it on their own. The, this little moment with Peter is one of the very few times where, where a disciple gets to do something just on their own. But when he sends them out, when he says, give it a try, and I'm not even gonna be there, they have to go in twos. When they are uh, when they are distraught on Sunday morning, okay, Sunday morning of Easter week, they all they all think that Jesus is dead and they know that he's dead. And, uh, and Mary comes and tells them, you know, he's not, not dead. The, the tomb is empty. She finds them together. I think that's extraordinarily important that, that even though they were in this place of totally weak faith, they had been so fostered and shaped by Christ with this togetherness that even when they were at their lowest point, that stayed intact. They were still together over Easter weekend. I mean, think about that—the absolute lowest—and they were they were still in the house together. That thing wouldn't go away. And then, of course, as the Book of Acts draws forward into church history, um, we we get an image that the church together, right? Acts chapter two after after the Holy Spirit in, uh, has invaded the upper room where they're all together and gifted them together. They then uh, you know, share all their money together, and they serve people together, and people come to hear uh, – people come to dedicate themselves to the teaching not of one apostle, but they come to teach uh, – to dedicate themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So they're even teaching together. So there's this sense that this pattern is not just for me and Jesus. It certainly isn't not that, right? Like I have to do that too. I have alone time. I have things I need to do on my own. There are going to be times where I try things on my own. But in the broader sense, you need me and I need you. This pattern of sitting down and learning from Jesus and going and trying it and then getting his helping hand that pattern works best when we do it together that pattern works best when we do it together the uh i was thinking i I learned something this morning that i was a little bit shocked by because i was looking for this passage right here the the top one i appeal to you then be imitators of me and so i just typed in imitator in the Bible search thing. And then I was like, wait a second, there's a bunch of them. Um, <laughs> Cause I thought that was just like one, one passage, but it's actually interesting. It's not just one, one little line in the new Testament. There's a bunch of these ideas where Paul says, okay, Jesus, we don't get to walk the earth with Jesus anymore. Right? So in, in Jesus's place, how about you learn from me? And the word imitate is important because imitate means you put something into practice he doesn't say uh how about you take my doctrinal statement as your own how about you uh take all of my theology and just say i believe all that and get the check mark next to true uh check true next to all those things and then then we're good no imitate it so take the things you're learning from me the theology the ideas the prayers, the things I'm writing to you, take those things and put them into practice together. Unless you think uh, now. It's also really important there. There are uh, this one, First Thessalonians 2, 14. It says that he wants you to also be imitators of churches and the reason I want to point that out is because it's not about finding one strong Christian to imitate and to learn from and to, to have this uh, pattern of learning and sitting down with that person and having to sit down, chat and trying things out with them. It's not just finding that one extraordinary, charismatic Christian that you can do that with. It's all of us together. We can learn from all of us. You don't have to be Paul for me to learn from you which is a good thing because I wouldn't like Paul is great to read letters from, but he would have been a really hard guy to be friends with (sighs) shipwrecks, beatings, rough stuff. Uh, anyway, the, uh, and then the other, this Hebrews chapter six, one is the same sort of ideas that it's, he's asking the writer of Hebrews is asking his readers to put, to imitate all people of faith who've gone before them to learn from these people, these heroes of faith. And so, Us too. What can we do? How can your attitude or your practice or your time change so that we can really have this pattern of discipleship together? Where it is not just a me and Jesus thing, and it's not just a sit down chat with Jesus, or it's not just a go try, try, try with Jesus, but but we really get this balance correct. We really have this pattern, this full life of discipleship with Christ and together. This would be the time where a better preacher would then give you all the list of the things that we need now to do. I am not that guy. Because <laughs> it would be presumptuous, I think, for me to say, and here's what we do next. What I really want from each of us is self-reflection, prayer. Asking, do I really think my life needs to look that way? Do I really think my life can grow that way? Do I really want to let these people into my life to the left and right of me? Do I really want to be surrounded by this pattern of discipleship? Do I really want the cost of sharing my faith with others? Do that. So I guess I am going to tell you what to do next. So I'm a bad preacher and a liar. Anyway, uh, yeah, do that. Spend some time praying. I'll go ahead and pray a little bit, and then we'll have some moments of silence for you to to pray and think. How can your life be more, more reflect the kind of pattern that we discover in the Gospels? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the multitude of times that you've reached out and pulled me up. And I thank you so much for the multitude of times that you have reached down and pulled us up as a church. You've been so faithful to hold our hand when we are struggling together and when we are struggling as individuals. So hold our hand now. May your spirit speak to us. May your spirit open our eyes to creative ways that we might learn more thoroughly together, that we might try things more together, that we might be helped by you more together. I just pray that this pattern of life that you've carved out for your disciples it would just be a pattern that we would find worthy and good for us.